You know how they say some things are timeless? The interview you're about to hear is exactly that, timeless. And I think it deserves another listen. And if you've never heard this interview before, you're in for a real treat. Please enjoy this interview rewind. That's something that I would encourage a lot of investors to do, at least like I found myself that I, I bought these things and just kind of put them on the shelf and never really tuned into them again. I mean, yeah. I was managing them and, and like hands on, yeah. but as far as the financials, it's, it's, I should have paid closer attention or I encourage other people like watch the value of your properties and watch, you know, if you're able to refi or, you know, do a loan modification for a better rate because the interest rates have dropped, you know, 2% since, since you last got the loan, look at stuff like that. And, I, and I'm not yeah. saying go crazy and over leverage and just pull out every penny you can, sure. but be aware of what you have for equity and what your options are. Cause I probably could have done that, that refinance my existing properties a year or two before I did. It just never even, yeah. never even crossed my mind. Yeah. That's brilliant. You're listening to the just start real estate podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey guys, thank you for joining me on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for being here. I am excited to have you. So hopefully you're just as excited to be here. And I've got another great one for you. That's right, guys. We are on a streak of years now of me bringing on only the best guest and the most exciting people to talk to. And I'm excited about my guest today. He has done a lot. We had a great conversation. He started off in the electronics manufacturing industry, running around, living in all kinds of different countries and just an exciting life of a single guy and young guy and kind of didn't really matter if he lived you know, in China for a while, lived here, lived there. Uh, he had that really cool lifestyle and then he decided he needed a little bit more stability, he wanted to uh, have a family and all that and just kind of living in all these countries didn't really suit him. So he got into real estate and uh, he started off like, you know, a lot of people, he bought a rental and that kind of got him going. And he started doing the BRRR strategy where you buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat, right? He did that. And, and he, he really explained how he did that in a way that anyone can do it. There's really no excuse. And now fast forward, he's living in Maui. He moved from Maine to Maui and uh, he's hanging out with cool guys like my buddy, Brandon Turner. And they, uh, Brandon's company, he works at Brandon's company. He is the uh, VP of acquisitions and they basically buy uh, mobile home parks around the country. And they're just buying tons of these things and bringing in investors and building this great company. Uh, and he's just done a lot in his life. And he's a really cool guy. He's a broker, uh, owns his own, own his own portfolio of rental properties. He still owns them. Got a ton of doors. Just a smart guy. I loved bringing him on and getting that diverse background and what he's up to now and raising money and buying mobile home parks. But tons of information about how he got started and just that whole bootstrapping mentality mentality that I know a lot of us love to hear about because it makes it feel so attainable and real. And uh, this is no exception. So my guest today is Ryan Murdoch. And I can't wait for you guys to hear this interview. It was a lot of fun. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. So without any further ado, let's jump into that interview and talk to Ryan Murdoch. All right, Ryan, thanks for being on the show, man. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. 
Yeah, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. So I want to really, I want to dive in. You've done so much, and I really want to talk about a lot of this because I think a lot of what you have done really is going to resonate and be interesting for the folks listening. Uh, but before we get too far down that road, let's rewind. Let's talk a little bit about your pre-real estate life. What did you do before real estate, and what made you get into real estate in the beginning? Uh, before I was in real estate, I was in the electronics manufacturing industry for, I don't know, 10 plus years. And I was just kind of a, uh, uh, I think that's kind of where my, my mercenary nickname started was I was just kind of the roving uh, technician who uh, I would travel around to various production facilities uh, that, the, that the company owned. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Mexico. I ran around Southeast Asia for a while, lived in Singapore, lived in Hong Kong. Uh, travel to China. So yeah, anytime there was any sort of an issue, whether it was setting up a new facility or, or any sort of maintenance issue or, or personnel issue, uh, I could potentially get on a plane and, and go anywhere at any time and, and, and try to help out. So it's kind of a, I wore a lot of different hats, kind of a jack of all trades, uh, yeah. but it was great. I was a young single guy and, and, you know, could, could wake up in one country in the morning and not know where I was going to fall asleep, uh, that <laughs> night. And that was okay. That was almost, that was enjoyable. So yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, that was a pretty good run. So what, what made you leave that life? What, what was it the, that brought you into the real estate world originally? There, yeah, there were a couple of different things. Uh, um, traveling around as a, as a young single guy has a lot of uh, upside potential, I guess. Uh, and I, I got married kind of along the way and uh, my priorities changed drastically after I did that. So instead yeah. of running around being an idiot, uh, in God only knows where, uh, once I had a wife and actually, uh, you know, somebody I cared about, it was like, okay, I'm going to be back in my hotel at nine o'clock and, and, and read a book and, and I miss my wife. And it's just, it yeah. just wasn't the same. Right. So, yeah. uh, that coupled with the fact that, uh, I just finished up a year of living in Hong Kong. Uh, the next year I was going to have to li- uh, go to Shanghai and live for a year. And I had been to Shanghai. It's a cool place, but I didn't, I didn't want to live there. Yeah. for a year yeah. and so those factors just it, it, it came time to just just be done with with that run and it, it was a fantastic time i got to see and do a lot of things that i would not have done or seen otherwise but it was it was a good time to call it quits and and try to find something else and that something else uh, happened to be real estate so how did real estate get in your radar because a lot of people change careers change jobs they settle down you know a lot of times like the, you know the real cliche one probably is like you know i was a bartender and i had this nightlife and you know i worked in, at night and it was great and it was fun i was single but i got married and i wanted to get a real job like not that you didn't have a real job but what what was it about real estate how did real estate hit the radar why not you know just go into a nine to five corporate kind of a thing where you sit and desk because uh, I was just about 30 years old when I when I bought my first uh, rental property. I, I certainly wish I had done it 10 years before then, but I'm glad <laughs> I didn't wait till 10 years after that. Yeah. Uh, but the the real driving factor was I just I just couldn't see myself in any sort of corporate job for another 30 plus years. You know, like like so many people do. Uh, I knew it was going to be a long road ahead, and it wasn't a you know sort of a get rich quick overnight uh, scheme with real estate. But I said, if I start buying properties, there's a good chance that, that I will be able to not be stuck in that corporate job for, yeah. for the next three, three decades. And, and just started, started building uh, my, my, my little empire from there. Was the first thing you did buy a rental? Was that your first dip into real estate? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. It was when I was, uh, I had like three or four months left that I was living in Hong Kong. And this was really before, this was like 2007, uh, so there were definitely websites and forums, but nothing like there is today with just uh, so yeah. many podcasts and, and so many just just easy to access uh, free resources. I went on Amazon and bought like every every real estate and property <laughs> management book, like property management for dummies and real yeah. estate investing for dumb, like the actual dummies books. And just because yeah, I had yeah. no idea what I was doing, uh, bought all those and read them. And then 
when I got back to the U.S. Uh, a few months later, I bought a, a just bought a duplex, uh, owner occupied duplex, and lived in one side and, okay. and rented out the other, house hack style. Nice. Uh, inherited some awful tenants, and that was my like immediate crash course <laughs> into into dealing with, with terrible yeah. tenants and, and, wow. and that whole thing. So. Uh, so, all right. So the question I know I'm going to get, or I'm going to I'm going to hear about is, so you did that first deal. You bought a duplex. You lived in one side. You rent out the other. Two things. How did you finance that? Did you just go straight up? mortgage like traditional mortgage or did you have hard money investors how did that work no that was a very vanilla style deal it was i went to the bank and got pre-approved for uh, it was an fha loan or something three and a half percent down okay uh you know, pretty much paid full retail for the property and this yep. was you know at the end of 2007 so the world hadn't completely come crashing down yet so i bought at the at the at the absolute wrong time with pretty poor interest rate. And like, if I had to do the deal all over again, I, I certainly would not have done it. Yeah. Uh, I, I still own that duplex today, uh, which is now what, 12 or 13 years into it. And I think like just in the past year or two, I actually started turning a profit on that wow. as a full rental property. So uh, it was a great learning experience, but uh, it, not, not so yeah. much on, on the cash flow side. So we started about the same time, actually. You started in 2007. I started in 2008, which is the, the yeah. market had crashed a little more by then for sure. It was getting pretty bad. Uh, was not a bad time, actually. But but it's funny you talk about like there wasn't so much available and you went out and bought the books, you know, the investing for dummies. By the way, did those books help? Were they helpful to you at all? Yeah, I thought so. Maybe if I yeah. had read some different or better books, I wouldn't have made as many mistakes. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, not knowing anything. Yeah. And 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 I mean, what else do you do, right? I had right. six or eight of these books and, and uh, you know, just, just kind yeah. of dove in. So, yeah, I did this, uh, I did the same thing. I didn't, I didn't read the one, the books for dummies, but I would have. I just didn't know about them, I guess. Um, but just, you know, I would go to seminars and in, in like um, RIAs and things like that too. And people would come through and they're selling their book or whatever they're doing. Yeah. Um, you're right. And you're at that point, you're just like a sponge, like anybody. It's like a sponge. So you like you said, even, even so-so information is like, you know, it's like revolutionary to you when you don't know anything. So it's all helpful. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. Um, so you bought that first duplex. You still own it. And now it's turning a profit. Congratulations, by the way. That's awesome. <laughs> 12 years later. Um, <laughs> what turns was another, it turns a profit for the next 10 years. I might actually break even. So. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> so so what was the next move? You house hacked. I get it. It's awesome. You mentioned the tenant situation. Uh, you know, anyone who has rentals and have done rentals, you, I'm sure you've had bad tenants. So that's, you know, it's a rite of passage almost when you start having sure. rentals. Uh, well, what was your next move? What did you do? You, you did this. It worked. I mean, well, you got what you, you did it, right? I mean, I don't know if you yeah, considered a success yeah. back then, but it, it worked. Sure. What was the next move? Uh, I cobbled together a few more duplex, uh, a few more duplexes, kind of using the same strategy. And at the same time, uh, I was really aggressively looking for foreclosures and you know, either for flips or, or just to fix up and, and rent out, buy and hold. But I had like I, I had very little income at the time since I'd left my my electronics job. Uh, I, I left a pretty good salary, and I just had really no money saved up. So I was looking for all these deals that were going to cash buyers and 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 going quick, and I yeah. didn't have any of that stuff. So with having no money <laughs> and uh, no real bankable salary, it, it takes a lot longer, obviously, to, to build out yeah. a rental portfolio. Again, not knowing some of the more creative strategies that I know now, uh, not having the information available, I was just able to. Uh, to slowly piece together a portfolio. So I think I bought two or three duplexes and then I found a, a pretty good portfolio at the time, like a 20 unit uh, portfolio that I was able to get, I think about 90% seller finance, 95% okay. seller finance. Nice. On. So that kind of, that kind of propelled me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I, I had started my own property management company. I figured, well, I have these, these rentals that 
even if it's just a handful of rentals, I still have to be available 24-7. I still have to have systems in place to deal with yep. whatever the, the problems are for property management. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be married to my own properties, I might as well start seeing if I can manage a few for other people mm-hmm. and, and generate a little income. So uh, still not really having a, a good handle on what I was even doing. I yeah. just yeah, I'm a property manager. And, well, let me ask and, you a question. Uh, so I get it. I have I have properties too. And my brain, when I started accumulated you know, accumulating too many properties for me to feel what I felt like I could manage realistically and and not be killing myself, my my brain went to who do I pay to do this? Your yeah. brain went to I'm gonna start a company that does this and then monetize it. Why not just yeah. go to the property manager route? Why not do that? Uh, because I really wanted to just be all in on, on rental properties. And, and I was working another W2 job at the time, but I hated it. I really hated it. It was in, it was a similar sort of electronics production management. I float around, I did a couple W2 jobs just to, again, to, you know, to pay the bills, but yeah. I just absolutely despised it. So I really wanted to go all in full throttle on properties and, and starting that property management company was just another step towards towards getting me there and yeah. i built that out to i think i was managing about 200 units uh by okay. myself by the time it was done i did that for like four or five years and then that evolved to the point where uh i got paired up with another property management company in town that was much bigger and had a lot of the things that i was lacking uh, i was pretty much a one-man band managing mm-hmm. 200 units and, and paired up and actually went to work for a bigger property management company that had I think 1500 units at the time, but they okay. had all the stuff I was lacking. So they had administrative health, they had an actual like brick and mortar office. They had uh, payroll handyman. And like, it was just, it was just a whole network of people that I was missing. So yeah. I, I took my book of business, went to work for them uh, as a salaried employee. Uh, at that time I was pretty burned out. So I probably would have taken any deal they would have given me, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it worked out well because I showed up pretty much self-funded. I had all this business that I brought with me uh, and I'd had, you know, five or six years of experience at this point. So I, I was pretty good at what I was doing. Yeah. And then from them, I got a, you know, I was able to stay in the real estate business. I got a, a, a decent W2 salary at that point. So I was, I was bankable again. I could go yeah. and, and get loans. Sure. Um, so that, that ended up working out really well. And at the same time, like uh, around 2008, I also got my, my real estate uh, agent license so that I could uh, pursue my own, my own deals. So like I had mentioned, I was looking for a lot of foreclosures. A lot of the stuff was coming on the market and was under contract within hours. So yeah. it just, it was tough for me to, to find an agent who was really motivated to go show me, you know, crappy $30,000 properties uh, yeah. on a Saturday afternoon. So I got my license to, to be able to just do my own showings to write my own offers and, nice. and uh, ended up uh, being a fairly successful real estate agent. I was doing, I don't know, 30 plus closings a year for other people. And, and were you, uh, were you uh, representing buyers? Yeah, and, I was representing sellers. buyers. I was representing sellers. That wasn't my intent at all. Yeah. When I got my, when I got my real estate license, I, I solely wanted to take care of my own deals. But, you know, again, I think anybody that's, that started out in this business with next to nothing, you have to, you have to do a lot of different things and you yeah. have to generate as many different income streams as you can. Yeah. Uh, and, and they all were real estate related. They all kind of, you know, focused yeah. on the same thing. They're just different aspects of it. And yeah. it was just a way to, you know, continue to earn money that I could then turn around and, and, and buy more rental properties. So you mentioned briefly that you were looking for properties, uh, um, foreclosures to possibly flip or something. Did you ever flip? Was that a part of your strategy at any point? Okay. No, not flipping. No, no. Um, I ended up, uh, I, I really didn't sell anything up until just a couple of years ago. Uh, I ended up just, you know, doing the burst strategy where you just buy it and yep. fix it up, rent it and refinance it and, and gotcha. do it all over again. And yeah. you mentioned having 200 properties in your property management company. And I don't know if everyone heard it. I heard you say you were doing this alone. 
you were yeah. by, you were doing this by yourself. You had nobody helping you. Yeah, I mean, I had two hundred doors, um, wow. and all of it. I had I had help in terms of like I had a pretty good network of subcontractors and, okay. and you know, people to do repairs. I was doing a lot of the repairs myself, but the stuff that I couldn't do, uh, I had I was able to subcontract a lot of it out. But still, even I mean, the only phone number to the to the business was coming through my cell phone. So wow. all tenant calls, you know, twenty four seven. I mean, I didn't even calls, cons- all billing. I didn't even consider yeah. that you were doing some of the work. I was blown away that you were running the business of two hundred yeah. doors by yourself. That is yeah. a lot. A yeah, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, it was. Re- it really took a toll on me uh, <laughs> personally. It just for five years of doing that, my wife, uh, I mean, just as a saint <laughs> to put up with me because that was probably pretty miserable. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, anytime we tried to break away and do anything, you know, as soon as my phone rang, I was like, well, this, you know, this day's shot. So let's go deal with this catastrophe. So, so the- uh, if, if I had to do it all over again, I should have I should have hired help uh, sooner. But I was hesitant to do that. And I look back and see that it was so flawed that I, I was afraid that I couldn't afford to spend the money for help. Yeah. Uh, again, because I was just trying to cobble together all the cash I could to buy rental properties. And, yep. and, and it, you know, looking back, if I had taken a step back financially and just hired help, uh, it would have, I think, propelled me a lot further. Uh, but you know, anybody that's, that's hired employees or has employees, you know, the headaches that go along with that. So yep. it was just kind of that fear of not, not being able to hire the right person and yeah. the expense of doing it. I, I just, I was just, I, I tend to just want to keep everything to myself, which is, Something yep. I still work on today is I've got to get better at delegating yeah. and not just not just taking everything and, and having to, to do that myself. So totally. it, was, it was definitely flawed logic back then, but that's that's the way it went. Yeah. You know what? I, honestly, I tell people all the time, usually when people ask, they say, I don't know when to hire. I don't know when the right time is to hire. And I'll say, well, when do you, when do you feel like you're in? Are you do you feel like you're ready now? And I'll go, well, I think I'm getting close. And I'll go, you probably are already past the when you should have hired then if you feel like you're getting close. Most people don't really make that decision until they probably should have done it a while ago. Um, But it is tough. You get into that. I did it. I got in that circular logic of I need to hire to grow, but I'm not big enough to hire, but I won't get big enough if I don't hire. I'll never grow. You know, it's like this weird circular defeating logic. Very, very delicate balance. And I I see it now with with Open Door Capital, where we've gone from in the past year and a half, it was just Brandon and myself. And now we've got a team of uh, eight or nine different people. And a lot of those people are on, on payroll. And a lot of that payroll was extended pretty much by Brandon and by the company before we had adequate revenue coming in to cover it. So, right. uh, it, that, that's a fortunate place I think for, for us to be in is, is Brandon was, was well capitalized and said, okay, I've got X amount of dollars that I'm going to invest in these people in this project. Uh, with with the hope and and the confidence that w- that we're going to be able to generate the business to to repay what he had what he had extended yeah. and, and and keep that going and so far it's working but it's it's a it's a significant risk and you know at the time and I think a lot of people are or were like me where I just didn't I didn't have I mean I had you know ten cents in my bank account every yeah. day it was yeah. just a, a struggle to you know to hustle you know because I just sure. wanted to buy more properties and keep those afloat and and just didn't have a lot of cash reserves sitting there to say, Oh yeah, here's, here's 40 or 50 grand. I can put somebody on salary. But if I had put a little more thought and effort and, and looking back, I, I could have been more creative and found a way to do that. Sure. So I, I know you just mentioned open door capital and I definitely want to get there. I'm, I'm very curious and interested in that company, but between like, you know, buying those, those duplexes and getting your, your real estate license, your, your realtor license and, and all of that, what happened in that time frame of, you know, that 2010 to 
you know, when you started working with Brandon, what 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 was your life like in between? I know you worked for the the uh, the, the property management company for a while. Sure. What what where did your life take you in those in those years before open Open Door Capital? Yeah, it got considerably better <laughs> as the years went on. Once I uh, decided to to go to work for that other company, and it just freed me up, uh, like physically, mentally. Uh, I had some more time to focus really on my own business. Yeah. I was managing a lot more properties with them, but again, we had the support staff, so I could go away for a weekend and and the world wouldn't fall apart. Sure, um, I was making decent money, so I was able to get to get better loans. And the whole time, my 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 entire goal was to just continue adding to my own rental portfolio because at some point I wanted to you know I wanted to quit that job too. I just wanted to to sustain solely on my my rental property. So uh, I got to the point where I did have enough of my own properties that I was able to, to leave the, the management company. And I just went back to self-managing my oh. own portfolio of units, which okay. I think at that point was like 50 doors, oh, uh, yeah. which was a piece of cake at this point for me because I had way better systems in place. I was using, uh, you know, Google voice numbers and, and yeah. answering service. And I had rent manager set up and could, you know, dispatch uh, service requests to, yeah. to my handyman that had the rent manager app on their phone. Like it was, it was on, as close to autopilot as I could get it. Yeah, it was. It was really to a point that I could operate that management company, management company, my my own properties uh, from anywhere. So I was doing a lot more traveling. My wife and I went to Thailand for a month, and like I was answering calls and returning, you know, dealing with day to day business as if I was right back in 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 the U.S., which which was great. That's awesome. Um, I had yeah, I had a couple guys kind of on. Uh, on payroll, not my payroll, but guys that agreed to take, if there was an emergency call and I couldn't get it, it would ring through to them and they yeah. they'd deal with the, with the problem. So it really, it really was dialed in as far as self-managing uh, is concerned. And then I got to the point that I was doing some consulting and, and a fair amount of brokerage and, and, and even got to the point where managing my own properties as easy as it was at, got to a point where it wasn't worth my time, yeah. uh, where I, I had you know, much higher and better use of my time. So I hired that management company, uh, main real estate management. I hired them now to take back my 50 units and, and okay. they manage them entirely nice. so that I was like completely free to do whatever. That's awesome. Uh, which, which, which was, you know, which is a great feeling because it's like, like these different tiers of, of, I guess, financial freedom yeah. or, or rental property portfolio building. Like it doesn't happen overnight. I got to the point where, you know, I, I, each step was, was better than the one before it. Was so your, was, I don't know. Was your whole, oh, well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but was your whole strategy, the birth strategy, or did you ever bring in private uh, funds or anything like that? Or were you just yeah, like, yeah, no, I did it all myself uh, again, which especially seeing now what uh, partnerships uh, can bring and, and the, how much more quickly one can scale when they bring in partners. Yeah. Uh, I, I may have done that differently as well, but the, the entire thing uh, was done just out of my own pocket or my own, you know, doing the first strategy where you'd add yeah. value to a property, refinance it, pull out some cash and go in, and, and buy the next one and, and allow that to continue snowballing. Let me ask you this, because yeah. I didn't, I, I failed to ask you at the beginning, where were you buying the, where are, or were you buying these properties? What state were we sure. in? These are all in and around Bangor, Maine. So I'm from Maine originally. Okay. Okay. Uh, like I said, I traveled around quite a bit, but I, I continually kept going back to Maine and I had spent uh, a better part of 10 years, almost 12 years in, in and around Bangor, which is where all this stuff is that I'm talking about now. Okay. When you bought these products, I'm just curious, but for the people who know the, the birth strategy, or if you don't know the birth strategy, well, let's just define that first of all, right? The birth mm-hmm. strategy is buy, uh, renovate, uh, rent, refinance, repeat. Is that, is that the yes. acronym? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so for those of you who don't know, so when you do that, when you did it, okay. Cause you, you did also mention a while back that you had like no money in your bank at one point. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't like you had this 
five hundred thousand dollars. You were going out and buying houses. You were you were you yeah. finance the first one. I get that. You add value. Were you able to pull out all of your original money? most times when you bought the house or where you get because I can imagine at some point you put in a hundred thousand and you only get seventy back and then you have seventy to work with yeah. and then you get fifty yeah. back, right? Like it could dwindle, but you were able to actually get your all your money back. Yeah, for the for the most part. And it was a it was a dry few years. Like the, the first properties I bought uh were the owner occupied loans. I didn't wasn't able to build a ton of equity. They just weren't that kind of property. Um uh, but after five or six or seven years, you know, come 2014, 2015 uh, I just kind of had these things and it was, that's about the time I actually found the, the bigger pockets podcast and was just completely reinvigorated by listening to all these guests. And like, I, I had a lot of real estate knowledge at, at that point, but yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the strategies and things that the guests were doing, it were totally foreign to me. I just had like, had never heard of, you know, subject to, or like a lot of this creative yeah. stuff and it really, really yeah. lit a fire under me again. And what it did is force me to take these properties that I had now owned for seven or eight years. and been like, okay, I got them. They're, they're, they're there. They're, they're, they're sustaining. But I, I, I took a closer look at them and said, holy smokes, I've actually built some equity at this point, or I can, I can refinance and pull out a little bit of cash yeah. and, and, and did that. And then that kind of gave me the working capital to go and buy. Uh, at the time I was buying single family homes. I bought a couple for like thirty, forty thousand dollars You put another 30 into them and then they would appraise for 120 to 140. Nice. So, you know, to, to refi and pull 80% of that out, I was getting all of my original cash back. And then a lot of times even more. Yeah. Uh, and if I didn't take it as actual cash, I'd get a, a line of credit on the difference so that I could pull that and, and buy another property. So yeah. that's something that I would encourage a, a lot of investors to do. At least like I found myself that I, I bought these things and just kind of put them on the shelf and never really tuned into them again. I mean, yeah. I was managing them and, and like hands on, yeah. but as far as the financials, it's, it's, I should have paid closer attention or I encourage other people like watch the value of your properties and watch, you know, if you're able to refi or, you know, do a loan modification for a better rate because the interest rates have dropped, you know, 2% since, since you last got the loan, look at stuff like that. And, I, and I'm not yeah. saying go crazy and over leverage and just pull out every penny you can, sure. but be aware of what you have for equity and what your options are. Cause I probably could have done that, that refinance my existing properties a year or two before I did. It just never even, yeah. never even crossed my mind. Yeah. That's brilliant. And I love it. What I love about it is <clears throat> you didn't have a ton of capital going into it. You didn't know about creative financing. The way you did it is there's really like anyone can do that. It wasn't unique to you. You didn't have any leg up or some special circumstance. Like, and it just, it drives me berserk when people go, oh, I don't have the money. I don't have the time. Like, Nobody has the money and the time. If, you know, nobody. I mean, some people do, but a lot of people don't. And what you did, the way you did it is very repeatable. Anyone listening to this virtually could do this. There's really yeah. no reason not yeah. to. So it's super, super, super relatable. And I love that about it. So this was your life buying. And, and, and by the way, you had like 50, you mentioned 50 at one point doors. Do you do you still have all the stuff, or have you have you like liquidated anything? And are you no, still I buying have equity? Forty something. I sold uh, right before I moved to Maui two years ago. I sold. I had a three or four of those single family homes that uh, I had a fair amount of equity in, and uh, it was a case that if I had mountains of cash sitting around all over the place, I would have just kept those homes forever. And yeah. you know, whatever they they might cash flow after everything's all said and done, maybe a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks a month. So they were. Uh, paying for themselves and then mm -hmm. whatever, 20 years they'd be paid off and then I would own them. But I was looking at a few of those saying, Hey, I could, you know, I'm making a hundred or 200 bucks a month right now, which is not a lot, or I could sell these things and clear, you know, 40 something grand on the sale of yeah. one. And I could take that money and do something way better than just let 
hundred bucks a month trickle in. So, uh, it was painful to let them go because I just, I want, I want to just buy and hold everything, but, yeah. uh, it, it didn't make sense to do it. I just, so I sold a bunch of stuff, uh, was able to restructure some debt, pay some stuff off and, and redeploy some of that capital in, in, in better places. But for the most part, I still have, I still have everything. I think I sold four, four homes out of my 50 doors. So I've, I still have the majority of it. Okay. I think that kind of gets us pretty close to current day. When did you, when did you make the decision to sort of turn your life upside down and move to Maui and work with Brandon and start this new venture. Now, when I, you know, some people turn their life upside down for the worst and they end up in a bad place. You ended up in Maui, which is not awful. Like yeah. I've, I've yeah. been to Maui twice. My wife and I visit there every few years. Um, it is heaven on earth. It is absolute paradise. It's beautiful. So yeah. uh, it's not a sad story, but how did that happen? What made you make that major, kind of a major life change, right? It's big time. Yeah, it was It was a, It was was a a big life change for me. And I'm typically not a knee-jerk reaction sort of decision maker. I'll just lose sleep over something <laughs> forever yeah. before I actually you know, decide that, okay, this makes sense. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Uh, but it was... Uh, uh, just under two years ago, Brandon had just bought a house out here in Maui. And I, I didn't know him that well. We have that park, a mobile home park that we own together in Maine. Um, so, you know, we had, we had been dealing with each other for a year or so over the phone and email. And he had come out to, to my house in Maine to do some due diligence on that park. But he uh, just kind of randomly sent me a text one day and he says, hey, I just bought this house in Maui. Uh, I need some help. Uh, just he had a shipping container that had just arrived and just some other like logistical stuff when you, when you buy a house. He says, can you come out for a week and, and just give me a hand? I said, yeah, sure. I don't know. Like I've never been to Hawaii. I don't really know much about it, but let me book my flight before you change your mind and came out for a week, which then uh, led to pretty much staying for a month. And, and during that month, I mean, in the first five minutes, I, I, I fell in love with the place. I mean, Maui is just, just beautiful. My, my wife and I had been looking uh, for some sort of change in the winter. We were just tired of, of Maine winters. Yeah. Uh, we're looking for some sort of break and I, we weren't looking to move permanently. We figured you know, if we can just find a place to go a month in the winter that's warmer or maybe one week out of every winter month just to break it up. Yeah. Uh, so we were, we were kind of, we had our sights, we had our eyes open for, for, for a change, but it, this was, it wasn't nearly as drastic as, as what ended up happening. And over that month of staying here with Brandon, just kind of hatched the plan that, hey, I, I, I would love to leave Maine. I'd love to live in Maui because it's great. Uh, and at the same time, Brandon had a need for, he was looking for an assistant. He was looking for people, uh, someone to help with you know, just his day-to-day administrative stuff and, yeah. and help uh, with, with filming some of his bigger pockets videos and just pretty much personal assistant. And, and so I, I, I took that job. <laughs> so we, we, we hammered out a, a job description that, that worked for me uh, and a salary that was certainly a step back from the money that I was making now in Maine. But I knew that the long-term potential to, to make things happen out sure. here was, was much higher. And the, and the quality of life is, is off the charts. I mean, yeah. it's, it's fantastic. We, we love it here. So, that's yeah, so awesome. I went home pretty much just long enough to sell all my stuff, list my house for sale, grab the wife and dogs, and, and uh, we all jumped on a one-way flight and came back out here. All right. You said something that piqued my interest because I know you're into this. This is something you guys do. But uh, how how did you get from the Burr strategy, buying duplex, buy and hold, how did you jump to uh, mobile home parks? Where did that come in and why? That was pretty much all Brandon's idea. Uh, he had been looking for mobile home parks uh, before I was involved. And that's really how I got connected with him is he, uh, what, three years ago was, was looking publicly. I mean, he was mentioning it on the podcast mm-hmm. and every time he spoke, he was, he was on the hunt for a mobile home park because he had a, a 1031 exchange he was doing with an apartment building and he was looking okay. for a mobile home park. That was the asset class he decided that he was going to uh, tackle and that, you know, he liked it for, for a bunch of different reasons and, and, and just went for it. And, 
when you put out the call for what he was looking for, I happened to find a park local to me off market that, that fit his criteria exactly. And, uh, just, you know, I, when I, when I got the information on that park, I, I kind of sat on it for a day or two and was like, yeah, there's no way that like Brandon Turner is going to want to buy a park here in Maine, but I have nothing to lose. I'll send it to him and, yeah. and, and, and did. And, and we ended up partnering on it and, and buying it. Uh, so when he wanted to continue his, uh, mobile home park acquisitions, um, I had, you know, at that point, 10 years of property management experience and a lot of that property management experience, although I hadn't owned any parks, I had managed a lot. So I spent a lot of hours down in the dirty, disgusting trenches of, of mobile home park management. So, um, you know, I had that going for me in, in a sense of, uh, yeah. you know, I, I was a valuable asset to him as far as like looking at parks, evaluating parks. Uh, we weren't sure what we were going to do for management at the time when we started buying stuff. So, uh, I was I was a good fit for for the yeah. role that, that, that he was looking for. So you're the management company that you worked for uh, for a while. They managed some of it was mobile home units. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did yeah. They, so they did a lot of apartments. They did HOAs. They do uh, mobile home parks. They do a little bit of a little bit of everything. Okay. We've got a pretty I had a pretty broad spectrum of, of experience in, in management. But, Interesting. Uh, yeah. A did, couple of the mobile home parks were kind of quote unquote my babies. That, okay. That, that, I don't know if it was a blessing or, or a curse. Yeah. I was going to say that. I don't know if that's a good baby or not yeah. a good baby. Um, I don't think they thought very highly of me when they gave me those projects. <laughs> it's a hazing. It's a form of hazing in the yeah, in the yeah, uh, yeah. property See, management she, world. The guy sticks around through this he'll do he'll do anything <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious so okay yeah. so managing i would imagine and correct me if i'm wrong i don't want to put words in your mouth managing a mobile home park or being involved in the management of a mobile home park is much different than valuating them and, and all that two questions how did you learn how to come up with the values and know what is a good price and then how did you know that this place was available off market the the first one yeah that you're yeah, talking about yep. yeah um no i just, i went to a uh it was actually i went to a, a real estate meetup just a just a informal sort of real estate meetup that uh our area at the time didn't didn't have a local meetup excuse me there was a guy that started one it was super informal it was like seven people in his living room you know just kicking okay. this thing off and yeah. uh, there was another investor there who kind of offhandedly had said hey i've got a mobile home park for sale and that was at the same time that i knew brandon was looking for one and i, wow. I looked over at the guy and said well hey can you you know can, can you send me the numbers on that thing? Um, so to, to, uh, to put a valuation on a park, it's a little different than, uh, than an apartment complex, uh, in terms of there's, there's usually a lot more variables. So yeah. when we're looking at parks and this, the, the small park in Maine was kind of the, the test bed for the idea. And I mean, we certainly didn't invent this asset class. We didn't no. invent investing right. in the asset class. There's a lot of other people to do it, but sure. this was our first like, Hey, let's yeah. see if we can actually pull this thing off. Um, but we bought this park with, uh, it's a small 50 lot park and it had, uh, I forget exactly, but I think they were 10 or 12 vacant park owned homes and then another 10 or so vacant lots. And the, the real value add strategy for us in, in mobile home parks is we, we, we like to buy it on, on existing value. So we're, we're looking at the, the income, you know, just as you would with anything else, looking at the income and the expenses and the NOI, and then yep. you can kind of calculate a, a purchase price from there. But the, our, our real concern is what can we do with this thing? in a three to seven year hold period. Right. And, and a lot of the value is uh, not so much as going in and cranking up rents, even if they're below market, we just don't like to do that. It displaces people. It's a great way to end up on the evening news. Like it's just a bad, <laughs> yeah. bad thing to do. Yeah. So we, we, we try to stay away from that. We try to keep the people that are there in place. We want to keep them happy. But the, the real value at is, is, is filling the vacant lots. So we had those, those 10 or 12 vacant mobile homes that we renovated and sold off to tenant buyers. And then, uh, in the meantime, 
uh, filled. Uh, it was eight or 10 vacant lots where we actually bought homes, brought them in, got them set up, renovated them, mm. and then sold them off to, to tenant buyers as sort of, they, they were, they were turnkey properties. They were older homes at yeah. that point, but we went through all the plumbing, electrical, heating systems. Everything was up to code and, and good. Yep. And, uh, you know, that, that's really our goal is to get all of the homes converted to tenant ownership so that they are responsible for their own repairs and maintenance. They're responsible for their own, their own home. They have a, a lot of pride of ownership, uh, which yep. is a, a little different than what you see from, from apartment tenants because they don't own anything. The mobile home uh, owners actually own and have pride in their, their home, and then they pay us lot rent. So it's great for us in a sense that it, it's – once you get the park stabilized, it's fairly easy to manage because you don't have a ton of, of, of repair and maintenance headaches. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, certainly we're responsible for the in- infrastructure in the park, the water lines, the sewer lines, the roads, uh, maintaining the common areas. Yep. Um, but it's, it's, it's easy in a sense of, of there's just no, there's no real repair and maintenance expense or, yeah. or headache. So they're just paying a lot rent. And uh, by filling those vacant lots, every one that we filled would activate a, say, $300 per month lot rent that wasn't there before. So you do that, right. you know, 10 or 15 or, or 20 times and, and we've added some significant value to the park. Definitely. Do you guys still own that park? Is that still something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And yep. then have you since yep. repeated this and done and bought more of these of, of that asset class? Yeah. So that was, like I said, that was just uh, myself and Brandy, Brandon and, and a couple other partners on that one. And now like that's kind of outside the open door capital scope. So okay. uh, once I moved out here, uh, year and a half, two years ago, we really got serious about open door capital. And, uh, that is Brandon's company that now exclusively buys, uh, mobile home parks. And we have a couple different funds. So it's a, it's a whole different animal in terms of, uh, we're raising, uh, investor funds and a, a 506 C offering. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got right now, I think we're at about 600 lots under ownership and we've got, uh, well, we've got a bunch of stuff under contract right now. I think if we were to close on everything we have, under contract right now, which is never quite happens. Uh, we, we want to, but something always yeah. ends up falling out for one reason or another. It put us at about 1,500 lots. When you say uh, 1,500 lots, you mean individual mobile individual home lots. spots, not yes. not parks, not no, know, not okay. parks. Yeah, It'd be okay. uh, I don't know, 10 or 12 parks. Gotcha. With, with total 1,500. Gotcha. Or so. Is this okay? So now we're in open door capital. I, I, you 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 guys are you you work in that company. You were the VP of acquisitions. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> we're already laughing because we were joking about it ahead of time because there's some <laughs> conflict online about what his yeah, notice title is. Frequently. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> hey, as long as you're VP, it's VP of anything, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so what exa- does Open Door Capital exclusively invest in mobile home parks or does it do other things? That's that's really it. Brandon does. He has another partner here on Maui and they do some uh, sort of one-off uh, single-family home flips, okay. uh, which is technically under Open Door Capital, but it's it's a different sort of entity. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, exclusively for what we're talking about here today, it's it's we're we're all in on mobile home parks. So we're not buying apartments. We're not buying commercial. We're not buying anything other than than mobile home parks. Okay. Okay. Your VP of acquisitions, uh, intuitively to me, I'm I'm assuming you're the guy who's looking actively looking for these parks, the opportunities. Um, can you talk a little bit about not to increase your competition exponentially, but what do you look for? Where are you looking? What do you look for? What, how do you know you found a good opportunity and where are you finding the opportunities exactly? Yeah, it's pretty competitive right now only because a lot of people are just looking for the, for the same thing that we are. And like I said before, we, we certainly didn't invent this. We just think that we can do it a little better than a lot of the other people out there. So we're primarily looking for parks that are at least 100 lots or larger. 
and we want public water, public sewer. There's some great deals out there on parks that are private utilities. We just don't want the, the hassle. Or we, we just don't want to take them on right now. Okay. Um, and we've been able to find plenty of deals with, with public utilities. So we're, we're sticking with that for now. Uh, we want a solid, preferably increasing population. So we want, we want to see 100,000 people within a 10-mile radius of the park. More is certainly better. Uh, we've got uh, one under contract in Florida and, and a couple others right now that, you know, the, the surrounding population is, you know, 500,000 to a million. That, that's great. But we want to see it increasing or at least stable. Sure. We don't want to see a sharp, de- sharp decline. <clears throat> we prefer to see a majority or, or all tenant-owned homes. As I was talking about before, tenant-owned homes are just easier to deal with. Uh, but most times the parks come with some level or some, some amount of, of, of park-owned homes. Mm-hmm. So that can be a challenge with uh, the lending institutions. It's tough to get stuff to get bank loans on park owned home income. So because mobile homes are personal property, they're not real estate Yeah. in a nutshell, the, the lenders, they, they will discount any of the rental income generated from a park owned home. They'll, they love the lot rent. They'll, they'll count for the lot rent, but they'll discount and not put any value at all on, on the park owned home hmm. uh, income, which is tough. If you have a, a park that's primarily park owned homes, the seller is valuing it on all this yeah, money that he's getting. I was going to ask you that. They want to value and, and, yeah. yeah, rightfully so. I mean, yeah. it's, 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 it's actually, it's good money, yep. but in the bank size, they won't, it, they won't apply that towards the value. So you usually have this huge gap in what the seller wants and <laughs> right. what you can get for debt on it, which means either, you know, you've got to come up with, with a lot more cash and a lot, a lot of times it doesn't make sense to do that. Yeah. So for as, as small number of, of, park on homes as possible. And that's, that's really our, our, our firm criteria. And from there, we, you know, we're looking at, at, at overall condition and obviously we've got promoted returns in our fund so that are any of our acquisitions need to, need to pretty much generate uh, our, our promoted return uh, right from day one. So we're looking for stuff that, that will cash flow right out of the gate, but still have some meat on the bone for infill. So I, ideally our, our occupancy level would be at that like 70 to 80% occupied so that we could go in and, and operate it as is and it does well, but we've got you know 20 or 30% of the infill that, we, that is still there to, to add value to the park. So if I'm someone who says, oh wow, uh, buying mobile home parks, I've never thought of that. I want to do that. I have a W-2 job. Uh, I'm making $100,000 a year, but I want to replace my income. Just, I know it varies. I, I'm, I'm sure of that. But on, on average, if, how many mobile home parks does one need to purchase in order to generate $100,000 a year in income? Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it really depends on, on what what the strategy is. So there are some local operators, like the guys that will buy a park local to them, and they're going to manage it. Mm-hmm. And they're going to... Uh, they're going to do as much of the maintenance as they can. Uh, they're going to, you know, be very hands-on. I mean, one, one small park could earn you, you know, 60, 70, 80 grand a year, okay. uh, as a, as a replacement for, for your, your W2 income, but it's taking up a ton of your time. So, yeah. uh, if you want to invest more on, on a sort of a passive approach, then it's going to take a lot more parks or yeah. a lot, you know, a, a lot better deal on that same park yeah, uh, yeah. to the point where you could afford to have third party management and be more hands off and just have it, have it passive. Okay. Uh, a lot of the investors in our funds, and I, I guess all, all funds or a lot of syndications are, are people with uh, good W2 income that, that maybe they enjoy their job. Maybe they have no ambition of quitting, but they, they want to invest sure. in real estate. They just don't have the time or the knowledge. So a, a good solution for them is to invest in somebody else's deal, invest, yep. invest in a fund, get, totally. get that passive return. So they're kind of, you know, they're involved in real estate and they, they, they can look at it from, from the sidelines and, and, yeah. and continue doing, doing what they do best, which is their W2 job and, and, and earning that income there where they just turn around and invest it in, in other deals. So for open door capital, are you, 
and I know there's, I, I don't want to get in FCC issues here, but how do you find investors that qualify or that you can, do you guys go out and actively look for investors? Do you, are you, do you, yeah, so it's a 506 and it's SEC that, that regulates that. So we, because it's a 506 we can, we can openly promote it. We can advertise it. Okay. Uh, but the, 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 the catch is that any of our investors need to be, need to be incredi- accredited investors. So okay. uh, it, you've got to meet a certain threshold of, of income or net worth to, to invest with us. Okay. So, is that uh, being accredited? What what exactly yes. does that entail? Just uh, it's it. a million dollars net worth, or I'm going to get this wrong and, and look foolish, but I think it's two hundred thousand uh, in income okay. per for the for, for the past two years as a as a single person, or I know I'm going to get this one wrong, three or three fifty a year as a as, okay. a, as a couple. Uh, just a general. Uh, okay, that's cool. So anyone yeah, who meets that criteria, clearly defined. Do it. I should know it, and I, I wasn't able to rattle it <laughs> off here. That's all right, no problem. We'll, <laughs> we got we got guys on our team that can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, we'll, we'll that's why this. they're out working, and I'm here talking to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, that's cool. It's good to know. So you are. Yeah. So if someone is listening to this and like, hey, I, I, you know, I love, I love what you have to say. I love what Ryan's saying. I love Brandon. I know him and love Bigger Pockets. I trust him. Yeah. Like, I want to get involved with these guys. I, I have money. I'm gonna, I'm accredited, or I could be, or whatever. Yeah. They can, they can reach out to you and and get yes. that process started. Okay. Cool. Yep. So we have uh, Mike Williams. He's our dedicated investor relations guy, and he loves talking to people. Loves educating them about what what's in the nuts and bolts of our fund and what they need to do on their end to to qualify and the documents that they need to submit to show that they're accredited. So okay. uh, that's, that's right in his wheelhouse. Awesome. Are you other than open door capital and what you're doing with them? Are you doing anything else just on your own acquiring properties, buying holds, nothing like that? No, not really. I'm all in you're on this in. right now. And we have been able to assemble such an incredible team of talent. Uh, I had mentioned Mike and we've got Walker Meadows who uh, does most of our underwriting and he's just a, an absolute wizard with Excel and underwriting and just, just loves that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, we've got Brian Murray, who wrote uh, Crushing It in Apartments and Commercial Real Estate, he's uh, just an invaluable resource. Him and his wife, Trisha, both. Uh, he's been in a lot of syndications, both on the GP side and the LP side. So he's got a ton of experience there uh, with a lot of the technical stuff that maybe some of us on the team who haven't uh, done as much as him, uh, we, we rely on him a lot. So yeah. um, it, it's just a, it's a fantastic team. And that's something that really uh, still just astonishes me every day is being involved with Brandon because of the reach and just the, the enormous size of his platform, he is able to attract uh, just some extremely talented people, uh, yeah. people that, that, that are not only talented, but are, are fun to work with and, and love the job and love what they do and, and very good at whatever the specific, whatever their specific role is. And they're also, you know, happy to help out if somebody else is getting crunched in, in their job. So everybody will kind of help out everybody else, but they have their clearly defined roles. Yep. And, and these are all people that, these are people that I would not have been able to assemble in, in 20 years of banging on doors by myself, yeah. but because you know, Brandon's trust and uh, just his notoriety, uh, it, it's just, it's, it's such an asset for us to, to be able to, to attract that kind sure. of talent, uh, which, which makes my life a lot easier. Can I ask you, and I don't want to get deep into like, you know, things that you don't want to talk about, but you just mentioned Brandon's reach. Obviously, we know he's the host of a bigger of bigger pockets podcast, and and he's super involved in that community. Everyone knows who he is. How hard is it to find deals? Are people just sending you guys deals every single day? Like, hey, check that. Like, kind of like what yeah, you all, did, right? All the time. Yeah. So, I mean, we we ran a promotion. We started a couple months ago. It's it's bringbrandonadeal.com. and what we're looking for is any any off market mobile home parks that that somebody knows about. Uh, yeah. we, we've got great broker relationships. We see everything that's listed, and we bought a lot of listed properties. So there are still uh, opportunities there. But what we were really looking for is is an off market park, and yeah. so so we rolled out bringbrandonadeal.com. 
And what we are promoting is that if, if anybody out there brings us a, an off market mobile home park, and when I say brings us, all we need is the, is a warm introduction to the seller. So we don't need it under contract. We're not asking them to broker a deal. All we need is the, the intro to the owner. So whether it's an email or a phone call, a name and a, and, and a phone number, uh, we'll, we'll take it from there and we'll, we'll run with the property. And if we close on it, we'll write the person that gave us a lead, a, a check for $50,000. So 50, we've, we've five, zero. Five zero, five zero, yeah, fifty grand, um, which is you know, which has really generated a lot of leads. I think we have two. uh, We've gotten hundreds of hundreds of leads that come in. Most of them just don't work out from one way or the other. But we, one reason or another, but we do have I think two parks under contract right now that are looking like they are going to close, and uh, I will be absolutely thrilled to write somebody a check for 50 grand. I mean, that would just be fantastic. So in my scenario from earlier, if I want to create $100,000 in income, I just had to find you guys two deals a year? Find me two parks. That's it. Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah, we have some people that really got nuts with it. There's, you know, uh, the intent of, of, of promoting that was like, not to really harness a professional wholesaler because we have some great relationships with, with full-time like professional wholesalers that are, that are really good at what they do. What we were looking for is maybe just the, the newbie, the casual bigger pockets listener mm-hmm. follower that uh, just kind of overheard at the, Hey, the 4th of July cookout that yeah. their uncle's buddy is selling a park. And we, yeah. we want, we want that guy. Right. Um, and he would be thrilled or, or girl, uh, they'd be thrilled to, to get a check for 50 grand. They're not professional wholesalers. 50 grand's a lot of money to them. Yeah, and for sure it finds us a, a great deal. We're, we're, we're happy to do it. But some people have really uh, gone crazy in a sense that maybe they weren't professional wholesalers before, but now they've got, you know, hundreds of mailings going out every month and they're making, they're getting lists wow. and calling on our behalf and, yeah. and uh, you know, really, really putting an effort into this and, and, it, and it's going to get, it's going to get some people uh, some big checks. Wow. That's pretty incredible. You said 50,000 so fast. I want to make sure you didn't say 15 yeah. or something. No, 50. Wow, 50,000. 50, yeah. That's uh, yeah. that's worth putting yeah. out some some postcards and 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 beating some bushes to try to find a yeah. deal. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Guys, so yeah, we get we get leads from all over. I mean, people are just always sending us stuff and and uh, you know, we're we're happy to take a look at all of it and and you know, we've got our we've got our criteria and we've got our returns that we yeah. have to we have to stick to, but uh, that's yeah, no, we've cer- certainly found some great great deals that people have just sent to us. All right. Gosh, that's, that's amazing. I, I'm always amazed at the ways that you can make money in real estate. And I think I've just heard a brand new one. And that's bringing Brandon a deal and getting yeah. a $50,000 check when you guys yeah. close on that thing. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. And again, it goes back to just, you know, Brandon's reach and his platform. And, you know, so many people know him and trust him. And, and with yeah. that goes a tremendous sense of responsibility, sure. especially to our investors. I mean, we have a lot of investors in our fund that are there. Maybe, I mean, the, the, the returns and I mean, all the, all the documentation for the fund, like they can read through all of that, but a lot of them are here just because they trust brand. Yep. And, and I think that's the case. And, and a lot of it should be when, if you're going to get involved in a fund or a syndication deal, you really need to trust the sponsor, regardless yep. of, you know, what all your calculations say, like you need to trust the person or the team sure. that's sponsoring the deal. And a lot of people trust Brandon, perhaps people that have never even met him face to face, but they've been listening to him on the podcast for the past, whatever it's been, eight or nine years, yep. uh, read his books. Like, you know, a lot of people feel like they, they know him and because of that, they trust him and he and the rest of the team uh, have a huge sense of responsibility not to tarnish that trust because as long as it's taken him to build, build that, we can flush it down the toilet in, yeah. in, in a heartbeat if, yep. if there's a misstep or we make a mistake. So totally. we're, we're ultra, ultra sensitive to that, especially when we, when we underwrite deals, everything we do is, is we try to be as conservative as possible because we need to preserve and maintain 
uh, his trust of people. And he's, he's a humble, genuine, like what you hear on the podcast, that's him. Uh, probably the most generous person I've ever met. And we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to tarnish that. Yeah. Ever. Bad news travels anyway. a lot faster than good news, unfortunately. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so if people are listening to this, first of all, first question, do you have to be an accredited investor to invest with you? Do you, I know you, yes. okay, you have to be. So you need the you million dollar be. net worth and the 200,000 yep. single. Okay, yep. good. Yep. Um, okay, that I want to catch. That. So if that if I am that person or if somebody listening is, hey, that's me, I, I have that. And I know this isn't your department, but how much does a person need to invest minimally with you guys? You're right now, the minimum investment is 50,000. 50,000, okay, okay. Yeah. That's actually yeah. not that bad. It's pretty good. Yeah. And that's right now our second fund is open and it's 50,000. We're going to be kicking off fund three, I think pretty quick. And, and we don't have it dialed in. I think the minimum is going to be the, the same amount, but stay tuned. We may have something okay. different uh, in the next couple of months. That's awesome. Listen, Ryan, and this has been a lot of fun to me. I have not met you prior to this. I love it. You have yeah. such a varied background, cool background, done a lot of things, and now you guys are just crushing it. Um, and I, I appreciate your time. I'm glad you jumped on here. I'm glad I got a chance to meet you. Uh, I, when I found out you work with Brandon, it's like a no-brainer. I know you're a good guy because I've known Brandon for a long time. And yeah. you're right. He is exactly the guy that you talked about. Super generous. He's every, he's yes. done everything I've ever... I, I've reached out to him a few times in the past and, hey, can you yeah. help me do this thing? And he's like immediately on it. He's just a good dude. Yep. So, yep. Um, Fantastic. So yeah. yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. I, I enjoyed talking with you. Yeah. And, just, uh, this is fun. And I, the, the mobile home park world is interesting to me. I, it's nothing I'm going to go in and compete with you anytime soon because I've got okay, so good. much going on, but <laughs> I've just got, I've got too much, but I, I've always found it super interesting. So yeah, I love hearing about it. I'm fascinated by it. And it sounds like an, an awesome asset class. And, and obviously you guys are having a lot of fun building your business. So uh, if anybody meets that criteria and want to get involved, reach out um, and I'll leave all the links to everything you mentioned, people that are on your team and your, your website and all that. So, um, sure. and, and we'll make sure that people know. So the website, I have it open actually on my computer. It's open door. Yeah, it's opendoorcapitallc.com. Yeah, or you can just go to odcfund.com oh. and we'll redirect you right there. So there ODC, like Open Door Capital Fund, F-U-N-D.com. We'll take you right there. And all the the, the information for our funds and, and everything's right there for you to see and team bios and, and everything. So yeah, Perfect. go there and check it out. Awesome. It was great talking to you. Thank you for jumping on with me. I really appreciate it. I know you are actually, we talked before we went live, you're, you're, uh, you're babysitting right now, Brandon's kids, because it's his anniversary. <laughs> so, uh, yes. you yes. know. Good luck with that. Don't screw that up. That could be a bad career move. Sounds like- <laughs> yeah, no, my, my wife's there. All I have to do is stand here and guard the pool, make sure nobody falls in that's not supposed to. And, uh, and I'm pretty good at dialing 911. Perfect. That, so my wife's got the rest of it under control. <laughs> and, and they won't hear this until after they're back anyway. No, no, so everything's fine. Everything's yeah, and if good. If something does happen, let's not air that part, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, listen, have a good rest of your day. And it was great meeting you. And, and good luck in the future for whatever you guys do. All right, man. I really appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was a lot of fun for me. I enjoyed meeting Ryan and getting to interview him and learn about his life. He's done a lot. He's been an agent. He's done the uh, buy and hold thing. He's, you know, bought the duplexes and did the house hacking where he, you know, you buy it and you live in half and you renovate it, uh, moving the other half and all that stuff where you kind of add value. So that's awesome. And now he's went on, went on to bigger and better things. He is uh, running the uh, the fund there where they're buying mobile home parks all over the country. And uh, he shared with me at the end, uh, I think it was off when we had already turned off the mics, that he's uh, flying out to Alaska to take a look at a mobile home park there. So 
a lot of cool things that they're doing. And of course, he's in uh, business there with Brandon Turner, a buddy of mine from Bigger Pockets. And uh, Brandon's a great guy. So I know anyone associated with Brandon is also a great guy. And that's why I wanted to have Ryan on and talk about what they were up to. And uh, I was not I was not wrong with my instincts. Ryan's a good guy, knows what he's talking about, smart guy. Um, so if you are someone who's interested in getting involved in their investments, reach out to them, reach out to them and uh, see if it's a good fit. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. I love talking to good people who are doing awesome things and today was no exception. So if you were inspired by that to get out there and get going, then awesome. That's the, that's the whole goal of this podcast. And really, you know it, I know it, everyone knows it at this point, you know what I'm about to tell you guys, you can't, you can't do anything until you get started. So get out there and just start make today the best day of your life. Get out there and do it. You can do it. Go for it. All right. We'll talk to you soon.